good morning. Um, very warm welcome to you. If I've not met you before, I'd love to meet you. My name's Dan Steele. I'm the pastor at Maudlin Road Church. Um, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll have a think about those verses that um, Nama read so well for us. Let's pray together now. Well, as we thought about last week, we um, we pray that we might be a people who who listen to the words of Jesus, uh, who listen to you. We've done a voice of so many um, words, so many messages, so many ideas. Help us to be a people who hear and who trust what you say to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, well, one of the unashamed truths, the ideas that we find in the Bible that many in the West struggle with, is that there is a very real and present spiritual enemy at work in the world. It's just not something people take seriously, but it's part of the Bible story right through from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 20. Um, you see a spiritual enemy of God. And there is a level of mystery there. There are questions that we might have that are perhaps not really finally answered, but the reality of Satan, of the devil, and his forces are never in question as you read through the pages of the Bible. And yet I reckon our experience, if you're anything like me, is that we can either flip-flop to unhelpful extremes, either on the one hand we just ignore it or are complacent about it, don't really believe it's there, or on the other it can be too much focus, too much anxiety, too much fear. Yet in our passage from Mark chapter 9 this morning, um, we will have a, a number of very helpful truths opened up for us to enable us to live well in a world where Satan still, under God, has some sway. And yet we don't need to be afraid. My hope this morning is that we will leave with a better awareness both of the, the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in, but also of the, the prescribed means of battling that the Lord has given us. I think we'll see three, see three things three things. One is the, what the actual real problem is. And then secondly, we'll see a wrong answer, a dead end. And thirdly, we'll see a right answer. And just a heads up as we begin, I think actually this pattern applies to all kinds of areas of life. Um, so while it may be a passage about spiritual warfare to some extent, Actually, the, the pattern applies in all quite kinds of things. Normal day-to-day -day life, in the workplace, in, in family life, the, the daily stuff. Perhaps in the moments that we speak to friends of Jesus, to witness for him, to point them to him, to hold out the hope that we have in him. Or perhaps in simply as we seek to, to live a life that pleases him, as Liz began the service, putting to death the sinful nature on our old way of living and putting on Christ. But... I'm aware as well, those of us perhaps with a level of spiritual leadership, whether elders or deacons, or perhaps we lead in different ministries at church or different areas of responsibility or different spheres of church life or family life. I wonder if particularly we'll see help there as well. Have a look at the text with me. And the first thing I think we'll see is the real problem. That is, this is at root a spiritual issue. This is a reminder of the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in, the real problem. Now, we've come down to earth with something of a bump, haven't we? 
It, it is such a stark contrast from last week, as Phil was reminding us in the kids' slot. The, the glimpse of glory, the sneak peek of the radiance of Jesus on the mountaintop. Do you remember the transfiguration, the Moses and Elijah, and it was amazing. And now, now we're down in the valley and there's conflict and there's frustration and things aren't working right. And, and the spiritual battle is real. And so down they come and they arrive and a big argument is going on between some of the religious leaders and the rest of Jesus' disciples. And there's a crowd looking on as well. It seems what's happened is that they've attempted or that they are attempting to, to get rid of an evil spirit from a boy, to, to exercise a demon almost. But it's not going according to plan. It's not working. And everyone is getting a bit het up. And that is what Jesus, Peter, James and John come down to. As I mentioned, we can fall off the horse on either side at this point when it comes to the reality of, reality of that spiritual battle. C.S. Lewis put it this way in his um, Screwtape Letters book that I know a number of you will have read. It's a fictional book. It's about a, a senior devil um, training and coaching a junior devil how to turn people away from God, how to squash them in their relationship with God. He says this, he, well, the introduction to the book says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, says C.S. Lewis. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive un, un, and unhealthy interest in them. I suspect in the West we're mostly in the danger on the first side. But listen then to how Screwtape continues. Maybe this tactic has been fruitful over the last um, decades after the book was written. He says, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark. The patient is the, the person, the human to which this devil is seeking to um, seeking to uh, cause them to turn away from God. He says, um, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. But it's clear from the passage, isn't it? Here we find a real enemy. There is real opposition to God in our world, in our lives, through our weeks. And rather than life and joy, this spirit brings a deep-rooted death and decay a real suffering and sadness to this poor boy. It's, it's repeated a number of times for us as Mark kind of underlines it and then puts it in bold and then even highlights it for us. Not wanting us to miss that reality, the, the decay, the, the deathliness of this spirit that he brings. Have a listen, you see it a number of times through the passage. If you have a Bible open in front of you, have a look down with me. Um, so verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. It's repeated in verse 20. So they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And the spirit shrieked, verse 26, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. Friends, that ought to open our eyes to something of the, the nature of the struggle. 
it's been a common theme in Mark that it's almost as if evil spirits are attracted to him like like moths around a light bulb. They, they see his power, they know his power and and they have no power over him. He has an authority over them. But that spiritual battle, though, Jesus has not been immune to their attacks. Do you remember just after his baptism in chapter one, he's in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. It's a, it's a real thing. It's, it's not something that the rest of the New Testament is ignorant to either. Peter will call Christians in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. He will say to Christians like us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Paul will remind the Christians in Ephesus, chapter 6, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As you read through all the scriptures, it's just taken as a given. It's just the reality of part of the Christian life. I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if that's something that we, we actually believe, actually aware of. Maybe one bit of homework for us um, off the back of this passage is simply to ask God to show us wh where the battle is. Perhaps more importantly, the question there ought to be how we deal with the reality of that spiritual battle. Well, again, the passage helps us. Um, the first thing we get, though, is we get the wrong answer. OK, so there's a dead end to begin with. So we've seen the real problem, now the wrong answer. I wonder, what is your knee-jerk reaction to a problem that you encounter in life? Something comes up in front of you, you don't know how to deal with it, what do you do? If you're anything like me, you'll Google it. Or, or you'll search on YouTube. That's usually a good bet, isn't it? There's generally things on YouTube to help you with anything. Or, or someone else is bound to have encountered this issue. So you send a question to a WhatsApp group or a bunch of friends. And, you know, if I can avoid a few dead ends, a few blind alleys, making their mistakes, learning from where they get it wrong and sorting it out quickly, then that's great. Let's get it done. How do we deal with problems? Uh, technique, tactics, action, activity. I think you see that in the text here. You see that they are they are trying to help this boy. It's implied that they are just active. They are just doing things. So as Jesus enters the fray in verse 18, the father of the boy says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You get it at the end as well. His disciples ask why they couldn't do it. Why couldn't we drive it out? Verse 29. At that point in my mind, Jesus should have said, um, why? Why could you not drive this evil spirit out? Well, because it's not about you. What are you doing trying to deal with the spiritual forces of evil? Now, to be fair to them, back in chapter six, Jesus had, it seems for a time, given them authority to to deal with this kind of stuff. He had sent them out in pairs and they had been active, um, working in his kingdom for their king, doing the king's kind of stuff. 
but they had to have an authority from him. That was the key word in Mark 6. We looked at that back in about November of last year. Here, there's no real hint of that. Here, they just seem to be doing things in their own strength. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous um, church minister who some of you will have heard of. He died in 1981. Um, he spoke on this passage and he said this, it's fascinating. He said, we are all such activists. We are all so busy. We are practical people, we say. And so we rush off to our activities and perhaps that is the main cause of our failure, he says. Of course, it's a great relief to be doing things. Um, this next bit from the quote shows something of the historical context in which which he was writing and his background that he knew well. He says, I'm always reminded of the people who during the last war, that's World War II, um, used to confess that they could not really stand just being sitting in an air raid shelter. They felt that the strain was intolerable and they were going mad. But if they could only get up and walk about somewhere, if they had something to do, they would have immediately felt better. It's a great relief to have something to do, but not always very intelligent just to be doing something. There's something in that, isn't there, as a kind of activism that's so common, perhaps particularly in our in our days and this season. Maybe it's why we live in such anxious times, because activists never know whether they've quite done enough. How much is enough? Have we sorted it all out? Have we solved all the contingencies, the, the what ifs? If it's up to us and only up to us to solve the thing, then then we are the answer. And so we're all so busy and so stressed and so anxious and so tired and but Ruta I wonder if it comes down to a kind of pride a kind of pride to save the situation to deal with the mess that we're in it's, it's as old as the world it was there of sorts in the garden at the very beginning do you remember as first man and woman walk out on God and they're confronted by their their nakedness their mistakes and they sought to do what? They sought to cover it up by their own efforts. They make fig leaves. They try and deal with the problem that they've caused. And actually what they really need was God to come and cover us. We, we couldn't deal with that problem. We needed him. Indeed, there needed to be, I think, a sacrifice. And then we would have our shame covered up. That was how God dealt with the problem that we had made. Now, of course, activity is not wrong. Of course, it's not. God has given us gifts and abilities and, and brains. And yet what's wrong is seeking to be like God, to do what only he can do, to live as if it all depends on us. To get muddled up about who we are, what our role is, the, the nature of sin is and always has been to seek to take his place and so if the wrong answer is activity or overactivity, there's a right answer in the passage as well i wonder if you spotted it at the very end it just sticks in there for us and suddenly changes how we read the passage the right answer is is trusting god it's praying see that in verse 29 this kind can only come out by prayer. Don't you just roll your eyes at that moment? It's extraordinary, isn't it? They hadn't even prayed. 
I mean, come on, what were they doing? Seeking to do the Lord's work, seeking to exercise evil spirits, but not praying. Who would do that? Who would seek to do the work of the Lord, but in their own strength and their own power and using their own abilities? And Oh. Oh, wait a minute, that sounds all too familiar. And maybe suddenly we see why this account matters so much. Because there's something all too easy and all too natural for trusting in self and techniques and tactics and, and act activism rather than trusting in Christ. That's, I think, the very simple lesson that we need to learn from this passage. That is the thing that I think we must take away. And we must work it through into our lives. That's the lesson that the characters in the story need to learn. So Mark tells us something of what this is about. This is a passage about active belief. It's a, it's a passage teaching us to remember that we're in a spiritual battle. That only God can help us in the midst of that. And that, that we need to trust him. We need to look to him. We need to go to him for strength. People in the passage need to learn to trust. So the father of the boy is the first one who needs to trust. Pick it up in verse 22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. He, he learns the lesson from a place of unbelief comes belief. And I think the disciples learn it at the end of the passage too. Maybe maybe they needed to learn it the most. They see that their plan of action was deficient. They see that they were getting it all wrong because they had missed out the most important part. They had, they had missed out God. Maybe we should have seen this coming. Did you notice how Jesus described them all at the start as he comes down and sees the mess? Verse 19, he said, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And that sounded kind of harsh, didn't it? When he said it. Come on, Jesus, a bit of compassion, please. Uh, this kid has suffered for years. But I think as the story unfolds, we see something of why he said it. Because actually, they were trusting. They were believing. They were putting their faith in something. It's just that they were trusting and believing and putting their faith in themselves and in what they could do and in techniques and tactics and activism. It's interesting, isn't it? There is something profoundly natural, profoundly normal about doing that. And it's encouraged in our day. Trust me, rather than Googling it, but if you could easily fill the walls of a house with motivational posters and quotations about believing in yourself and the fact that you can do it. If you just trust, if you just believe you can do anything, you are enough. The, the sky is the limit. There are posters galore. And yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. He has given us value and worth and gifts and opportunities. He, he has given us abilities. But just because we're made in God's image, that doesn't mean we can do all that God can. Actually, a true and right self-belief 
means we know that we're sinful and yet in Christ we're forgiven, that we're, we're broken and yet in Christ we're loved, that we're a mess and yet in Christ we're treasures and that he will equip us and he will enable us for what he calls us to do. We need to be honest with ourselves about that and so we need to know that we're not God. And where the disciples had tried to remove the evil spirit from this boy without praying. They had tried to be God. They had tried to do what only God can do. And so do we. How easily even do we attempt great things for him, but kind of leave him out of the equation. Trusting in our own activity, trusting in our own ability, trusting in our own self. I'm thrilled that we've been having a distanced 40 days or so season of prayer and fasting as a church. I'm hugely thankful for John and for Christine and others for helping us in that because we need it. Because sadly, it's unnatural for so many of us because... Sadly, we are too much like the disciples. Next Saturday, there'll be a gathering, as you've probably seen in Magnet, if you receive that. There'll be some more details in the week to come as well. But an opportunity to, to have a distanced prayer gathering at the old schoolhouse next Saturday. Thing is, though, it's not as if, I take it, it's not as if we wake up one morning and think, we'll try and do stuff for the Lord, but we'll try and do it without him involved or we'll try and do stuff for the Lord but we make a decision to try and do it in our own strength that's just not how it works is it it's more that the activity squeezes in and the emails pile up like never-ending weeds that never go away and the messages and the whatsapps and everything else comes piling in and then the the BBC news app so you work out what's been going on the last night and perhaps how how different countries are suffering from the pandemic and each morning or their job or the kids or stuff to do around the house and we're all just so busy maybe I'll just miss my time of prayer or reading today because I know there are already 10 emails to deal with and I'm just going out of control and I'd rather just get on with it and maybe I'll try and pray and read the bible later but but then that kind of slips out till tomorrow and before we know it we're almost practical atheists and we go through the day or we go through the week trusting in ourselves Morden Road brothers and sisters we need to pray we need to plan to pray and then we need to pray perhaps it is that initial question Lord give me greater spiritual discernment make me more aware of the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in and when we have that then we won't be able to not pray i don't know how this works out for us as individuals it must be the daily personal discipline covering all that needs to be covered in prayer it's planning it's doing Maybe it's the hourly arrows when we're in need, asking God to help us in those times of trouble that our knee-jerk reaction would be to pray rather than seek to simply problem solve. But it's corporate prayer too. 
we have so much going on. We have so much activity and tactics and techniques and so much in the to-do list, so much in the diary, and yet we can't not pray. Whether it's the buildings and the applications or it's planning for Christmas or it's helping people through problems or it's dealing with difficulties, we must remember that we are not God. We do not have his power. And yet we so easily slip into being the disciples, trying to do what only God can do in our own strength, rather than looking to him. And, and don't miss it. Look at what happens when Jesus turns up. They had been there doing all they could, trying to somehow get rid of this spirit. And they were stumped and they were frustrated and they were confused. And Jesus comes. And it's a matter, it seems, of, of seconds. And the problem is solved. And when you have a friend who is that powerful, when you have a friend who is that kind, why would you not pray? Let's pray now. Lord God, we pray that you would help us. We're so sorry. We're so sorry for seeking to do things in our own strength. We're so sorry for, for simply being activists like the disciples. And so we pray that you would help us. Help us to see the reality of the spiritual battle that we are in. Help us to see it more clearly. And so help us to turn to you. Be at work in us, we pray. We don't simply want to understand this passage a bit better. We want to be those who live it out. In your son's name we pray. Amen.